Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic. This is my conversation with Alicia. She is a dear friend of mine. She's a dear friend of Jerry's, not to mention an old drinking buddy of both of ours from back in the day. She decided to get sober and she called me up and we talked. She asked me some questions. I gave her some answers, hopefully good ones. And it will be as of the recording of this two months that she's been sober and she was nice enough to come on and talk with us and talk about why she drank, why she stopped, and how she's doing it. And it's great to get that perspective from somebody so early on in the process, because I think that's the most important time. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Alicia. So it's been 60 days. Is that correct? Since you, you've you been sober? Well, 60 days, 59 yeah, 60 days? days tomorrow. Okay. So let's go back. I don't know how far. We don't have to go all the way back. But um, how would you, I don't know, how would you describe your drinking growing up? Or did you drink? I mean, what was the beginning oh, for man. you? What was, <laughs> I mean, oh, um, okay. So. Or how, so you're, you're how old? You're. Uh, I'll be 32 this year. You're 32. You you work for a global national corporation. A big old a, big one. <laughs> a big old big one. One of the biggest ones, if not the yeah. biggest one in the world. Yes. Yeah. Put um, two and two together with that. I live in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and you you so you're 30. You said 31. Now. Big old company. Now you are. Yeah. You just turned 31. Yeah. Yes. And, um, you, uh, and you're a, you're a, you're a poetry professor. You were, weren't you? That's, <gasps> is that in another life? Like I that. remember that. <laughs> um, no, I, well, I, I got my master's in poetry okay. and I taught at the collegiate level, but I never got to teach poetry. I got, well, that's not, that's not necessarily true. I got to teach like a week of poetry in my literature class, but that was my my old life, the life that doesn't pay very much money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, right. I live in Seattle, <laughs> so right. yeah, that's, there's well, there's some poetry in Seattle. There's some poetry about there, of Seattle. There is, there very much <laughs> is. Um, Certainly I, right now with all the snow. Oh my gosh, my partner's mom was like, "This is a perfect time to be doing some writing. You're lo- you're you're in the house. You can't leave. You should write." And I'm like, "I have all the things to work from home, and if I sit around and write poetry, my boss will be mad." So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you just tell me, I mean, growing up, how what was growing up like for you? Um God. Uh well, I was a latchkey kid. Mhm. You know what that is? I do. Yeah, I was one too. Oh, there you go. Uh, pr- pretty much from like age five on, parents were like, "Here's the house key, kid. Here's a bike and a library card. Good luck." <laughs> so that's why I'm this big nerdy brain, and, and I like reading and all that crap. Um, but then after that, uh, you know, I was raised Mormon, so that's not a thing that we do. Um, but I think it was I was fourteen when I had my first drink and it was on a dare because the girls I was with, they were in like a circle and everyone was drinking wine coolers that my friend's mom bought for us. Mm. Cause she was an alcoholic and would always be down for buying 14 year olds handles of vodka and all kinds of other shit. So um, anyway, <laughs> we were in the circle and they're like, oh, haha, Alicia's not going to do it because she's Mormon. And I was like, oh, yeah, try me. And I <laughs> drank a like strawberry daiquiri wine cooler and it was disgusting. Mm-hmm. And then I remember everyone having this like, oh, my God face. And like just to like spite them, I drink another one <laughs> like right away. And that was like it i guess they couldn't believe the mormon girl would actually drink the wine cooler yeah yeah it was you know they were egging you on and then they were shocked when you actually did it yeah like alicia goes bad (laughs) like day one (laughs) (laughs) okay so that's 14 years old do you when's it like is something start then were you did you ever feel compelled to drink after that or i mean i pretty much drank i would say up until like 
60 days ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, not of the caliber, like back, you know, when I was still like 14, 15 and all that, but like, you know, definitely those, those one-off occasions where like, you know, being 16 or 17, like an older, a friend's older brother would go buy us beer or, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd still beer out of boyfriend's mom's fridge or something like that. So it wasn't ever really like a big deal. I think probably in my early twenties, I started drinking more. Um, but then I also think that had a lot to do with the fact that I finally moved away from Arizona and I moved to Seattle mm-hmm. and as luck would have it 10 years ago this year, right? Johnny. Yes. Well, well, I met you a little before that at Jerry's wedding, but this is true. Um, but I had no friends and I had no one that I knew in Seattle. And, you know, I piggybacked off of ex-boyfriends, older brothers, friends. And that was us. Yep. (laughs) And I would just um, take the bus, the 44 up from the U district and go sit at whatever bar any of you were at, because it was one person I knew. And, you know, you sit at a bar long enough there, they ask you to work there. Mm -hmm. So, and you um, were going to school. I was. You, were, you got you got into the into UW. Got right? into UW. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had moved up to finish out my bachelor's and I knew no one. I was transferred in and um I had an apartment that in retrospect was outrageous. It was a thousand dollars for like a studio in the U district it, back in two thousand like nine. Um but I had to make Brent and I was eating maybe like celery and ramen. I think it was like all yeah. I had. So if I had any extra money or anything like come my way, I would, you know, I'd go down to Ballard and I would go find a drink or I would, mm-hmm. or I would kind of schmooze you guys to give me like the, the, the runoffs or like, Hey, sure. let's this drink is this okay. Or here I poured too much of this. You can have it. Like, I don't know, those early days were were probably some of the foundation for all of the ways I learned how to drink, I suppose. Um, yeah, I'm sorry but... about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've told you this before. Like, I used to sit in that room with, like, all of you guys, like you, Jerry, Walter, Coda, all of them. I'd sit there in awe of just how, like, majestic and godlike you all were. Like, you guys were just, like, party animals, the coolest mm-hmm. The coolest quote right. unquote old people I knew because you were all in like your early 30s then and I was like barely 22. And it was just really cool to learn, I guess, how to be cool by hanging sure. out with you guys. Um, not that I'm saying you guys caused my alcoholism in any way, but I definitely um, knew how to handle myself with alcohol when I actually did finally get into the service industry and start serving and bartending and even working in the kitchens and stuff like you know your rewards there aren't praise good job you did great tonight your your reward is alcohol mm-hmm. and if you if you do well enough in a night you get alcohol from anyone you want it from like oh like you you killed it in sales Leisha have a shot on me or oh like you know 31 was really impressed with you they sent you a bottle of champagne like it, it became a very easy thing to just include alcohol in my every single day because work was alcohol and then after work was alcohol and before work was alcohol and it just all kind of revolved around it until I guess my tolerance really just kind of went through the roof on it like I think I remember um one of you I don't remember you or Jerry saying something about how like you just needed more and more until you need needed more and more like it like there was no like there was no tolerance there anymore it was like I could just keep going and I think by the time I hit grad school like grad school is a whole like crazy stressful not stressful place it's beautiful I miss it like I can hear my friend Liz from grad school yelling at me about how much I hated grad school while it was happening but now I look back on it thinking those were the three best years of my life and I say that even though one of those years my mother died in that time as well as my brother. So, you know, it's kind of one of those strange things where it was just a a beautiful place to continue my alcoholism in. Right. <laughs> so so like, you would, would say the first four years you were in Seattle yeah. attending bar and waiting tables and going to school and, you know, burning it at both ends and drinking consistently and um, hanging out with people who could teach you how to drink 
consistently and <laughs> what you needed for before and during Who and I after could keep and up with right yes yes <laughs> um and so so you do that for four years and you feel pretty successful you i mean you graduated you went on to grad school right oh. you yeah, I graduated Great with like student. honors, um, super high GPA, all these awards and scholarships and things. Like, I don't know. I just always could see past. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like the the shitty part of being mm -hmm. like getting all the drinks into you and getting drunk and all that. I could even like in the middle of it all, I would sit there like in a little glass case inside of myself, like banging on the walls, being like, "Okay, you have to work tomorrow." enough is enough now. And kind of being like, okay, I should drink some water. I had always kind of found like some way to yell at myself and quit mm -hmm. in some, in some fashion. But, you know, most days it was not really unheard of to have five or six drinks in a day. Yeah. And that was kind of on the lower scope of things. Yeah. 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 So you did that for four years and then you go to grad school, which you said were the best years of your life. Yeah. And I keep doing that. <laughs> Only I get to throw more parties and get to have more mm -hmm. people around me doing that and fostering this environment where it was safe for people to come into our house and do that. Um, I lived in this place called the Friendship House, mm -hmm. which sounds really rainbowy and cute yeah. like for poetry grad school program, but it was literally on a street named Friendship. So we just called it the Friendship House, mm -hmm. but it was the closest house to campus. And as such, all of the people from classes would just come over to our house after class was over and you know we always had beer and we always had wine and we always had like you know weed or something going around so everyone just always felt the need to come over and when I was not getting up at 5 a.m hungover to go teach in a classroom and then finishing my like full pot of black coffee to myself times two and then waiting until like one o'clock in the afternoon to go have like my customary two to three glasses of wine before I went to poetry class and then have, you know, two or three more after that and then go home and drink more and then repeat for three years. <laughs> yeah. And did it, did you ever, at the, and in any of that time in all of the wine and the poetry and the, and the grad school, did you feel ever feel like it was too much or something had to stop or you oh, just did? <laughs> okay. All of the time. Like that little, that. I live like forgive my poet brain like mm -hmm. I live in metaphors inside my head so I have to speak in them half the time but that little like glass case of emotion that I'm always trapped inside of inside myself when I'm like in those drunk states or high states or whatever like it was always inside me banging what the fuck are you doing dude stop and I would always just think to myself like okay this is gonna be your last drink you need to stop and tomorrow we just won't drink we're just not gonna drink tomorrow and then I'd get up, I'd have another shitty day of some caliber, and I would have a drink because I would just end up saying, fuck it, and I'll have a drink. And it would just go on like that. So yeah. it just became this thing where I knew better. I knew better every single time. And every drink that I had, no matter what drink number it was, whether it was the first one, the middle one, the last one, I always had this, did you really need that, huh? Kind of like... Yiddish grandmother in the back of my head yelling at me calling me a putz mm -hmm. like I don't know it's it's always been there and I think in some ways that's kind of why I think I mentioned to you before about my idea about diet epiphany tell me more about the diet epiphany um I guess the the backstory to this is that at work um we we have a saying on Thursday that Thursday is diet Friday because it's all the flavor of Friday with half the uh half the fun <laughs> yeah so I always think about that now in my like recovery that it's my diet epiphany because it was always there so as soon as I was sober enough to be like oh yeah totally I'm right it it felt very like shallow but mm -hmm. it was definitely this epiphany of oh my god you have been looking out for yourself this whole time and you've just been ignoring yourself this whole time and so in some ways, this like, you know, very early stretch in sobriety, I feel like I'm seeing myself for the first time and it's not, not all bad. 
I don't know. <laughs> it's saying a lot for, from, for someone like me who has never really had a lot of confidence in myself. But it's like a, I'm seeing what everybody else sees for the first time in my life. And mm -hmm. it feels like it should be larger <laughs> than it right. is. But it's just kind of like, oh, totally. <laughs> so, so going back to um, grad school and those years, and you said, you know, speaking of when your, your mother passed away, this is before you were still living back east, right? Virginia, just outside Virginia? of DC. Okay. And... um. How did your drinking change or differ or did it during that period? Oh, wow. Um, so my mom passed away of stage four uh, metastatic colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And it I, I did have the, the honor of getting to be here her final summer that she passed and I was with her pretty much almost the whole time. But also when I was not at hospice trying to hold myself together, I was at the bar. Um, and I remember very distinctly the the day my mom actually passed. Um, I woke up and I went like I went and I got a tattoo actually um, that very same day. And then I went to the bar and I did not leave until like I was dragged out by my friend who pretty much like took care of me and all that. And I ended up kind of increasing my drinking a lot more because it was some form of comfort. It was some form of like, just ignore the reality that's around you right now. Um, and I, I don't think that I ever kind of fell off the deep end in, in such a way that like it affected things that I had to do, like, you know, going to class or getting something done for class or, or anything like that. But I definitely started drinking more and I wouldn't, everyone around me could see it, but like when I'd have to own up to it, I would never do it. Like I would be super honest about everything with like, let's say my therapist, but I would just not include the fact that I was heavily drinking myself away <clears> most <throat> days. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of held up this really beautiful illusion that like, I was totally fine. I just like, you know, I'm just going to have these few drinks. Don't worry. Like, I'm all right, guys. Everything's cool. But like, if you like really were able to see what was going on, like I was falling off the deep end and I actually didn't really end up dealing with mom's passing until I would probably say this past year because it kind of came in a big backlash because um, I had shoved so much of it down with the alcohol and trying to forget and all that, you know. Mm -hmm. And this what year was this? Um, that was 2014. 2014. Okay. Yeah. And so the drinking continues throughout grad school. Um, and then you said your, your brother then passed away. Yeah. Two weeks after my mom did. Yeah. He, uh, had an allergic reaction out of nowhere and I, I know he would be happy with my joke that I'm about to make. He literally dropped dead. So, <laughs> um, it was it was a real bumpy, bumpy last year um, there in grad school because of that. Mm -hmm. But you you always considered yourself, even in those times, functioning and you handled your business and you were always school and all that stuff. Like you said, you didn't. You always made things work or. Yeah, I, I guess that's like, I don't know, maybe that makes me boring in some ways with no my, my no, alcoholism, no no no, but, no, no, no no not at all no. <laughs> that's um, amazing <laughs> I, I think that I've just always had this like you gotta act right part of me and I don't know whether that's like my grandparents because they pretty much raised me when I was little um or you know maybe it was just it was the way to get attention when I couldn't find it otherwise um like mm -hmm. if I did good in school mommy and daddy would pay attention to me so like I think some of that just got carried over through my lifetime that like, whatever you do, you still do it well. And you made that choice to get messed up. So you own that choice and you still get your shit done. And it was just this very like, cool, you're hung over. You did that to yourself. So get over it. Um, I can tell you that like my, my partner right now would always say things like, I'm never drinking again. I'm such an idiot. I'm so dumb. And I'd be like, why don't you just own what you did? So I don't know. That's just always been my mentality about it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I was the same way. I think I, I always, yeah, just, 
I'm an alcoholic. It's fine. Oh, you got a hangover. Well, you just go and you just get out there and you go do it. And there's no, there's no, so I mean, water's I, free on tap at work. <laughs> right. And I think for me, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there was also a, because in childhood, because of childhood traumas of my own, um, that there was a lot of punishment and a lot of self punishment. And so that totally. it made, it made sense to me. I was like, oh, this hurts. And well, good, because you deserve it. And oh I hate God. I hate you, John. So you deserve <laughs> oh. to feel this suffering and this pain. And, you know, and so those words that I would remember and those those like, you know, they say the tapes that you play in your head, although we don't yeah. really talk about tapes anymore in 2019. But those tapes that would play in your head <laughs> from like my dad talking to me or whatever or, you know, bullies, all that kind of stuff growing up was that I was just punishing myself and I felt like I deserved it. I don't know yes. if you ever felt that way too. I laugh not because you were, you know, no. saying mean things about that, but that is so so 100% accurate. I have I have never been nice to myself and I am slowly but surely figuring out small ways to like myself again, but I think the drinking was always a kind of if it wasn't a way to punish myself, it was a way to put myself in like a box or like shove something else down. So I could say, see, like even this is happening. So now I have to run away from it. And then like, there would be the added layer of, oh, you can't even face it. Now you have to drink yourself away. Fine. Better have another drink. And so it was this vicious cycle of like punishing myself, but also avoiding punishing myself, but punishing myself anyway. I don't know. Chaos. It was just always chaos. Mm -hmm. So this is like, so 2000, when do you move back to Seattle? 2015. 2015. So you move back to Seattle. Um, you are now living in this town that is um, notorious, but it's known for its its nightlife. You probably still have a lot of friends that you know in bars I mean, and restaurants. You back to Ballard, too. So you move back to Ballard, which is which if anybody doesn't know is like was this sleepy little town part of part of town and then just exploded in the last five, seven years and is now the hippest, coolest like happening, you know, bars up and down the street. And it's just this it's a really cool place to it's a very busy and fun place for somebody to go and hang out. And you move back and you find friends and. Oh, and um, I go work at the old bars that I used to work mm -hmm. at and the added bonus that I used to sit and drink at. I actually got hired at the People's Pub, which mm -hmm. I used to sit there until six in the morning playing poker, right. drunk as shit with you and, and all, all those, those people. Yeah. yeah. So and did you, I, and I'm sorry, so you, oh, go ahead, go ahead. You see the People's Pub, but also didn't you work back at the Belmar where, I did. or that was before, or you after as well? I did. I went back and I bartended there for a while. Okay. So that officially, uh, I did every single job there then. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> so you fall right back into where you were at before yep. you left. Yep. And I had that I had that small window of, I had just graduated from grad school. I could have applied for doctorates. I could have applied for, you know, quote unquote, real person job. Um, but beyond that, like, I just fell back onto my comfort zone where I knew like, you know, oh, if I can't get a real job yet, I know I can fall back on the bar. And so I fell back on the bar hard. I fell back so hard that I got like four bar jobs right away. And I was oscillating between all of them, never had a day off, drinking all the time. I feel like, like I remember you telling me that or texting me or something like, yeah, I'm working four different places. That sounds familiar. Um, so, <laughs> and at this point you don't, you don't have school to worry about necessarily. No, just the bar jobs. So you can sleep in, yep. stay up late, do, watch the sunrise, yep, do whatever I want. And I mean, it was typically, you know, go down in the, like a little bit, maybe like an hour and a half, two hours before your shift starts, like just to say that you got out of the house early. Um, go, I don't know, walk about, you know, hit mm -hmm. up, hit up like a couple of the, the shops that you go in, but you don't ever want to buy anything, go hit up a couple of the bars or, you know, just go sit at the one that, you know, you're going to get your best like pre-work drunk on and then scoot out. 
me, it was always Hattie's. Let's just go mm-hmm. sit at Hattie's and they would know exactly what, by what I was ordering, where I was going to work at that, like that day. Like it got down to like that much of a science between me and the bar people on Ballard Ave. So yeah. So then fast forward until 2017 and that was all I did mm-hmm. Two two plus more years of scratching for rent and no health insurance and I also like broke my thumb during that time and I still had to work in a cast. Jesus. Yeah. But anyway, 2017 rolls around and, and then that's when a big deal corporate job rolls into my life. And uh, mm-hmm. you no. Know, so, so you, yeah. So you have your, your work in bars, you're managing this, this alcoholism, right? You're oh, or, and I was you know, managing it, a bar. So I'm managing a bar. <laughs> alcoholism <laughs> right and you are um but that i just that idea of like the science of how much you needed to drink exactly for oh, yeah. where you were going or or you know like you just enough to get started not yep. not too much not too little but just enough to make you feel good enough to go and do your shift right usually like two shots two mm. shots of tequila mm-hmm and that would be for all of my like more swankier spots. So that would be like I worked at the Gerald for a while and I worked at Balmar again. So like if I needed to kind of put on a persona while I was working, like, oh, welcome. Let me tell you our specials tonight. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like the tequila would get me a little bit more like in my like looser. Hey, I'm going to schmooze you kind of like attitude. And then if it were somewhere like people's pub or going back to the 418 I would you know it it would either be a couple beers or possibly like just a bunch of fernet just take down the fernet <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I know that one too I uh I used to mine was um mine was near the end there too well I guess that wasn't the end actually but um at the end of Seattle but even after that was rumplements was always something because you could have a little one and it was really high proof and it gave you this sort of shot this jolt this like buzz and you were like That's okay the breakfast shot the breakfast shot yes because yep. you do so, that and then you chase it with coffee <laughs> so then so now it's 2017 and yep. you're going to get yourself a job that's going to require what morning hours and a commute or you five I was still in Ballard at the time, but I I pretty much went from a bar schedule, which is around like you start work around, I don't know, 5 p.m. and you get off work around 4 a.m. So I went from that to having to work a eight to five right away. But my commute was like mm, five minutes on a good day. So not too Um, bad. But... how does your drinking change when you start this other job? I think it slowed down a little because I thought, you know, here it is. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Like the life is finally going to happen now. Like I finally work here and I'm, I've made it. And so I think it slowed down for just a bit um, until the work became really, really brutal. Um, I work in a research call center, as I kind of mentioned before. And a lot of the work was just talking to other people about, their pain points, their barriers, things that are going wrong and how they think that they can fix it and how they would like to see it fixed. So it's kind of mm-hmm. a a proactive approach, but those those conversations can be very weighty. And I'm a pretty emotional person, so by the time I would get off of a like an 8-hour shift of hearing these these like people just disgruntled with their work environment, which is pretty much relatable to everyone, I would just be so muddled from it that I would need I would need something to shut off the world outside. And once again, my trusty friend alcohol mm-hmm. was there ready to turn off the world ASAP. And um, over time, I started drinking more after work because it would just get more and more intense at work, probably because I was drinking more and I was hung over more and I got more emotionally affected. And so I kept drinking more and my days got worse and I had panic attacks at work. And it, it even got so bad. There was one time that HR got involved and they like pulled me in a room and were like, hey, are you like emotionally okay? Like, can you be here right now? <clears throat> and 
that I think was probably this moment where I was like, all right, girl, you got to get your shit together. And that like little Yiddish grandmother inside of me was like, I don't want to see this behavior anymore. You need to switch this. And I actually landed a huge project at work that actually got me promoted right then. So in this corridor of time when I'm like, oh my God, like I'm about to like crash into the walls, come to a screech, like screeching halt into it. I get this promotion and it's even more pressure. It's even more visibility. And at first I was like, oh God, what have I done? And so I kind of calmed down with the drinking a little bit just to make sure I got my bearings. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then after that, I think I got into a place where I got a little bit comfortable in this role. Like I'm, I'm a leader on this team. And when days were rough, which were every single day and still are, but in good ways sometimes, um, I have to wait for the ferry. I have this really long commute. So if you compound the eight or nine hours of just putting out fires every single day against having to take public transportation to the ferries, wait for your ferry to show up, Mm. then take your hour-long ferry home, then get in your car, then drive home, then cook dinner, and then get into bed within an hour, and then go do it all over again. Like, the only time I ever had for myself, the only time I had to disconnect from anything was that that drink waiting at the ferry terminal, waiting from a ferry, then that drink on the ferry, maybe two or three on the ferry, and then just enough to make sure I could still get in my car and drive home. Not a big deal. It'll be okay. And then get home and then have more alcohol to the point where that you would just, I would just drink until it was my bedtime. The time that I knew that I needed to go to bed by to get up in the morning. And every day was, was hangoverville. But I had just like convinced myself that this is how you feel now. This is just how it is. This is normal. Like, of course you hurt. You're in your 30s now. Of course you're tired. Look what you do every day. So I would like mask it always in this like, not, uh, not necessarily excuses, but in different perspectives of looking at it. Like you're tired because you work too hard. Not because you're hungover and you haven't slept right in weeks. Like mm-hmm. I would just find ways to trick myself out of it. And I don't think it, I don't think the alcohol itself, like I know Jerry always calls it like a substance that's inert until you put it inside something and it, then it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think alcohol was ever necessarily like the thing that I needed per se, as much as what alcohol did for me, which was to pull me out of my reality for a moment and just let me relax for a second. Escape. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and also, you spend a lot of time alone. Um, you know, you, your, your partner, uh, he, can you explain the situation? Just because I feel like sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you can talk a little bit about being alone. There tends to be, there's less accountability when you're with somebody living in the same house. And so you kind of give yourself sometimes a little more, at least I would, you know, like, oh, if I'm by myself, yeah. what's an extra drink or two? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so uh, Mr. James Dean, he is a uh, he's a merchant mariner, and so mm-hmm. he is out to sea uh, for six months out of every single year. But it is parceled out into three weeks every three weeks. So we kind of have this rotation that we only get to see each other for that long. And when he's like, typically, um, when he's gone, yeah, it's free game for me. Cool, I'm gonna go buy like another fifth of of Fernet because the other mm-hmm. one from last three weeks is gone already. Like it it would be free reign. I would get home and pour myself a glass of wine that was like, you know, forgive me, John, but like Napa <laughs> housewife pour, like all the way yes. up to the top brim. And then I'd call that mm-hmm. one glass and then I'd open like two or three bottles a night. It'd be fine. But when he was home, like he has to be sober when he's on the boat. So he spends six months of his of his life already sober. So when he'd come home, of course, like that first day would be an onslaught on the beer in the house and he would just take it down. Like he he could probably could have made like a, a wizard staff with how much <laughs> beer he would take down that first night he would come home. And then he'd wake up the next day with a terrible, terrible hangover because he'd been sober for three weeks and then just drank like a rack of beer to himself. And then he'd complain and flail about and I'm never doing this again. I hate alcohol, blah, blah, blah. And then some days it would be maybe he just didn't drink for the rest of the time he was home. And then okay. some days it would be the next day he'd be drinking again. 
and you, I mean, you kind of kept up with him or kept pace or didn't drink as much, or were you just always, Oh, I mean, uh, did it it change when he was home? Your drinking? Um, No, because I think he knows me well enough now, but I'm not a cheap date. (laughs) <laughs> I can I can drink him under the table and he will okay. tell you that also. Um but I think in some ways we would enable each other. So sometimes sure. if he wasn't drinking enough, quote unquote, uh-huh. I would get really self like self-centered, concerned about it. Like, oh God, like, is he gonna think that I'm a drunk? Like, but I want another drink. No, I'm a strong woman. I'm an independent woman. I don't need a man telling me how I can have my alcohol tonight. Like I would get really <laughs> like in those weird spots. And then other days when he was like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to have another one. I'd be like, oh, yes, I totally need another one. So we would just kind of piggyback off off of each other. And I think what drove us both, because um, I celebrate 60 days tomorrow, but so does he. He's actually doing this sobriety thing for a year with me as well. Um, so I think so we were... tell me about that. That's what, yeah. what led up to this decision that the two of you made 60 days ago, Oh man. Okay. Um, so this is the winter of 2018. Yeah. This is <laughs> a week and a half before Christmas. It's December 14th. Mm-hmm. And one, I had had the most hellacious week at work of my life because I was put in charge of the entire operation while a lot of people who were above me were in meetings for a week, planning sessions. So I did the job of like 20 people by myself and it was a grueling, really, really horrific week that I happened to drink my way all the way through. Um, And it ended on the 14th with one, I had to set up the, the, department holiday party which i was in charge of and i had to get everything in order we had people flying in from europe it had to be a big deal and i had to make sure all that was organized i am at the end of my rope emotionally um i'm exhausted from the week and i have to put on a happy face and still run this whole big thing while there's free alcohol everywhere and i've got to like think to myself okay all you want to do is get fucked up right now, but you know you can't yet. You got to hold out. It'll be okay. Don't get fucked up in front of the bosses. So I have like two beers, but at this point I haven't eaten in like 36 hours, maybe more, because I don't know about you with your drinking, but I I don't know. Just, I don't get hungry. Never mm-hmm. really got hungry until I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hadn't eaten in a while. And so I had like these two beers and I started to feel kind of tipsy. But at that point I knew I was, I was ready to hit my fuck it button and be like, I don't care. Like I'm falling off the deep end, like just go for it. So I also have tickets to see the final show of my favorite band ever that my best friend drove up from Portland to go to. And James was going to come with for the first time to see me be Minus the Bears, crazy fan. Um, like, shout out to them, because most of them are on the sober train, too. And that's part of this. So, yay. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I have to hand off this holiday party and hightail it to the concert to get there in time for my meet and greet passes and and be the crazy psycho fan that they know me to be. Um, so we get, like, so I leave the holiday party, but not before I've had, like, two more shots And then I get in the Uber, I get to the show and I have, oh, there's my cat. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Say hi, Frank. Mm -hmm. Um, I get to the show and I slam like three more shots of tequila right then and there. And, you know, my best friend Lena and and James, they don't really say anything because they're like, okay, Alicia's had a hard day. It's fine. It's whatever. And that's an expectation that people had of me that I could just take down that kind of alcohol and it's nothing to be alarmed about. And... So we have a few, we go have meet and greet. I can tell when I'm talking to them that I'm slurring, that I'm so, I'm, that I'm getting drunk. And so after it's over and I'm kind of on my, oh, fuck it, hi. Um, James hands me his credit card. I go buy more drinks. I go buy a bunch of stuff. And I take down like two or three more shots with my friend. And by the time we get the drinks that we're going to go stand in the front row to wait for the concert to start in, I run back to give James's credit card before I spend any more money. <laughs> and I sit down for a second and I end up 
feeling so overwhelmed that I can't get up. And I projectile vomited off the side of the table and no one saw it but me. So there's like Good a work. little bit there's like a little bit of vomit on the table, but nothing that like that like looks out of sorts. And I'm like, holy shit. Okay. All right, girl. Like straighten up and act right. And the only like substance on the table is just more beer. So I drink some beer to swish out the vomit taste. And I leave my best friend sitting in the crowd or standing in the crowd in the front of the show box while I'm sitting up in the bar with James and she has no idea where we are. So she finally finds us after like the show has, has not even started yet, but she finds us. And as we're, as I'm sitting there with James, I turn to him and I say, I need a trash can. And before he realizes what has, is about to happen, I projectile vomit on the table again, only this time it's directly down onto the table, all over the table and all over myself. <sighs> and I'm wearing a really fancy holiday party dress that has cats singing on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point, I, I know what I, I, I knew that I had blew it, but I was so like still so fucked up that I didn't really realize how much I had blown it. Um, and at that moment, the security guards rush in, they pull me up out of the chair, they carry me outside, they park me in a chair outside with people filing in like right next to me into the show box. So people are like seeing this like drunk vomity girl, like as they're walking into the show box and James and Lena follow me out. They go in, they take my tickets to get my coat. They get all the stuff. They call an Uber. They get me on the ferry and we make the ferry, but we get kicked out of the final minus the bear show ever before it even starts. And that's my favorite band. I'm their crazy fan. They literally know who I am because I'm a psychopath so I get on the ferry and I start screaming and telling everyone around me that I missed Minus the Bear. I missed them. Do you know that I missed them? And I kind of just start losing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they go and they get me like the ferry chowder. You know, it's been sitting out oh, for a no. few hours, but it's like the only hot food they have. Uh -huh. <laughs> so they go get me the ferry chowder. They get me like a Gatorade and like, my friend, my my best friend and my boyfriend are just sitting there letting me let it out. Like I'm sobbing. I'm acting like a fool. I'm being very loud about Minus the Bear and how I've like ruined my whole life. And I'm such an idiot. No, God. Like, and then I, and then I get so upset that I, they have this, like, they added a secret show the next day or another show the next day. And I spent $200 to get those tickets. And then the next day when I wake up in the morning and I'm Surprisingly, not as hungover as I thought I was going to be. You puked it all up. Oh, oh! I should also mention. Oh, I should also yes. mention when I got home, me and Lena got high. Mm. We smoked weed, and then I went to bed because I knew that was going to make my nausea go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I get up in the morning. I don't have that bag of bad of a hangover, but James kind of does, and he turns to me and he says, "I was so drunk." that I didn't know how fucked up you were. And that makes me really upset at myself. And I was like, what? No, like, that's my fault. Like, I was the one who drank that much. And he's like, no. Like, you were that bad. You had no idea. And, like, I could have helped you. And he got, like, really emotionally hungover about it. And he just said something, like, crazy. Like, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not drinking for like a year. And I looked at him and I just said, is that really what you want to do? Are you like serious about that? Or are you just saying that? And then tomorrow or even this afternoon, you're going to have a drink. And he's like, no, I'm serious. And I want to save all the money and I want to go on a vacation. I want to do something that's not this. And so I texted you Mm -hmm. And I texted our friend Taylor, who is a recovering alcoholic as well. And I said, James and I are doing sobriety for a year. I'm texting you this to be held accountable. And I just turned my phone around and I showed him and I said, well, I guess we're doing it now. And I think in some ways 
that same enabling that we had with each other, with the alcohol before this was what triggered this to start in the first place. So we enabled each other to be sober and the first couple of weeks were pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> I won't lie. Um, you wanted to drink. No, John, <laughs> that <laughs> ice cream was bad. Um, but I think more than anything, I started to come to some realizations about myself and like the way I've been living and all of that almost pretty immediately. And I, I want to say it's that it's that diet epiphany. It's that it was always there. There was no shock and awe to it. Like, duh, it's a duh moment. And I don't know. I am like almost at a full two months now and I feel feel very different. I feel like I am myself for the first time without being scared of being myself, which I think is saying a lot for me and anyone who's known me or dated me in the past. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I I don't know, John. I just, I feel very different. I feel very clear-headed and I feel more capable of working through some of the shit that has kept me down or kept me kind of like in a um, like a headlock of mental illness and all that kind of stuff. I, I feel ready to tackle it in a way that feels a lot less dire than it ever did. Cause I think I'm seeing it more clearly if that makes sense. It does. It does. It, problems look solvable now rather than just something you have to accept. Yeah. At least that's how I saw it too. And um, can I ask you, so now like what is, what the times that you would drink before, uh, even two, three months ago, I mean, how do you, how do you contend with that? How do you deal with that? Do you, do you still deal with cravings? Uh, do you have to deal with coworkers that want to go drinking with you? Um, you um know, what kind of, what kind of tools, what kind of program are you running over there that, you know, is keeping you sober? <laughs> My program. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, I, I think a lot of it is tied to the idea of honesty. And mm -hmm. um, that goes as far as that all of the people around me at work know that I that I came to a screeching halt and I had to I had to make a choice and I'm going I'm going sober this year. And to some extent, uh, there is some truth behind like, you know, wanting to be healthier and having my body be up to par to maybe possibly have a family in the future. And so like, that's definitely a backbone, um, to the sobriety for a year. But beyond that, like, I don't tell people that I had like a big downfall and I puked all over myself in public. Uh, I've joked about it a few times with some of the people who are like, wait, what, you don't want to drink. I was like, well, you know, when you come to be 32 and you puke on yourself in public, you trying to like, you know, have to rethink yourself. Um, is my thing, but I've been very honest and open about, I just needed to stop. And I think for me, especially, I rely heavily on accountability. Like, and I, I know from years of not being able to trust myself or attempt to trust myself that I would rather have somebody else hold me accountable or have that fear of letting someone else down. So it's the first tool is I cannot I cannot have a drink because I would be letting people that I love down. And I think that is very, very strong for me. Um, Cause I don't, I don't know. I, I almost like when I told my dad that I was going to stop drinking, uh, he started getting all teary eyed. Cause he said something about like, does this mean I get a grand, a grandbaby now? <laughs> like, like he got all musty eyed about it. And like, you know, the thought of letting him down, the thought of letting James down, the thought of having to tell you or Jerry, like, guess what? My wagon's not my wagon anymore. Like just seems <laughs> there's a lot of weight <laughs> on that for me. Well, I can, I can speak for myself and I think I can speak for Jerry too. And I would say that, and he and I have discussed this too, that if, if you're, if you ever fell off or if you ever decided to drink again, there's not, that, nothing would change from me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, no, I mean, I'm just saying is I wouldn't be disappointed. I, if anything, I would understand. And I would say, Hey, what's it like? Is it different? You know, I would be like, 
oh, if you're going to go out and do some research, come back with some notes because I need to know, <laughs> like, is it different or is it the same? You know, so yeah. I don't I want you to know that, like, honestly, nothing would change. And I would still want to hear from you and I would still want to say, you know, like, how are you doing? And I guess I should put a caveat on that, that like, I guess more it would be the, the punishing mental shame that I would put upon yes. myself yes. for letting you down. <laughs> Let me rephrase that, Johnny. You know, um, uh, coming, you know, coming, having to tell me is not the punishment. You know, I always think of it like going out and drinking. That's its own punishment. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's kind of like when Jerry and I have talked about it and we go like, yeah, I mean, if it happens, it happens. But are you coming back? Are we, are we still, are we, you know, Yeah. I'm sense. just glad you're back. I don't care that you, that you went out. I'm just glad you're back. So, <laughs> I mean, I just to alleviate a little bit of weight or well, to at least. Well, weighty in a good way. Like one of those yes. like weighted blankets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I think um, definitely the clarity mm -hmm. in getting a good, good, hard look at myself for what I'm really worth. And having the challenge of learning to understand myself from a positive side, like with positive intent, as opposed, of, as opposed to looking at myself solely with negative intent. So it's been a lot of like, I don't know, the woo-woo stuff. So like writing down my, my meditations for the day and, and all of the extra stuff that like, you know, I use a mindfulness app. It's called Mindful. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it. It has this little... 30 second like breathing pause up exercise that I, I do. Um, I've been starting to see a chiropractor to get some of like the pain in my body that I used to treat with alcohol um, actually dealt with. And beyond that, like I try to, I've been trying, trying being the operative word, um, keep a sober journal um, in which I try to write down what I was thinking about that day, what I was trying to get some clarity on that day. Cause even if I'm having like a bad day and I'm not thinking like at all about the sobriety, I like to find some way to kind of come back to it. Like, what did you learn today that you learned sober that you didn't hide from that you didn't have to like have a drink to erase? What did you see? And I think the most powerful one thus far has been forcing myself to find three moments of actual joy in every day. Um, especially on those days where, you know, the caca is hitting the fan at work and, yes. <laughs> and I'm home alone and I have to commute for three and a half to four hours every day. And like finding the moments, like the other day, I think I wrote something like I got to talk about Rome, which is a place I love for like 20 minutes with one of my teammates on like this really hard day. And I almost forgot about that moment of pure joy until I forced myself to remember it because the rest of the day was so difficult beyond that. So I think it's been a, my tools are kind of trying to shift my perspective also um, forcibly almost. Mm -hmm. um, I wake up every day and I love this because it doesn't matter if I'm saying it with negative intent or positive intent, it's still a positive phrase, which is, this is a great day for it to be a great day. <laughs> And I say it every morning, even if I'm having the worst day ever, because it's still a positive intention going out into the universe while I'm being sarcastic. So I've been trying to, in some ways, understand how to pull myself up when I'm not feeling on the up and up. Um, and a lot of that has just been like, okay, what's going on right now? What can you control? What can, what can you not? What is actually your fault here? what is not like it's almost like I'm I've been holding the cards the whole time but I've never seen what was in my hand until I actually like took the alcohol away you know yeah. in, in a way <laughs> no I agree I agree it's it's one of the most challenging things when you said it about making the choice about how you're going to look at things and how what your perspective is going to be and you know that idea of like God, haven't I changed enough? Do I still have to keep looking at it in this positive thing? I'm so fucking tired. That's the person who's the asshole. Why can't they change? Why do I have to change every single day? Why do I have to look at and I get caught up in that and it's like because that's how it works <laughs> for me, yeah. you know? It's yeah. like so <laughs> you choose to be happy. You choose to make it a great day even if it sucks. 
got and, an over-index on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a great day to be a great day. <clears throat> yep. So I completely understand and get it. And it's, um, it's all about perspective, even when you don't want it to be. Um, and so you've got 60 days tomorrow. Are yep. you going to celebrate in any way or are you um, just well, are you working? I, I unfortunately will have to work, but due to the <clears throat> snow apocalypse occurring in Seattle right now, mm-hmm. uh, I do get to work from home for like the umpteenth day in a row, which has been a magical miracle of not having to interact <laughs> with humanity on a physical level. Um, but has been a nightmare because online communication is not exactly <clears throat> um, easy. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to probably watch more Game of Thrones because I'm rewatching the series because I can't wait to watch season seven, which is I know the past one, but James and I are catching up because I haven't seen any of them and I can't okay. wait because I'm obsessed. So I started back at episode one while he's on the boat because I'm a crazy person. Um, yes. So I'll probably celebrate with staring at Jon Snow and and drinking soda water <laughs> <laughs> with the cat. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. And so we'll have a so, fire. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, if it's snowing outside with a fire and little thrones. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so 60 days, you've given yourself a cap on a year. For now. For now. And I mean, that's just, I mean, how do you, do you, do you think about that? Is it, does it feel like, cause everything sounds positive. You're not, I just, I'm just curious. I mean, Honestly, oh, like, for a while. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, hey, I, I get it. I mean, you're like, fuck it. Why can't this year go by quick enough? I mean, do you imagine that you will incorporate it back? Or, I mean, how do you feel today about it? I mean, I think in the first, definitely in the first month, it was like, oh, God, I am only 20 something days into 365 days. This is going to take forever. And mm. now, um, I find myself checking less and less what day I'm on. Um, so I, I don't know that I can say that, you know, on December 14th of this year, I'm going to go right to the bottle um, because I think, you know, I've done some sober Januaries and all that garbage in the past. And after like 30 days, I just, you know, kicked it, kicked the can down the curb a little longer just to see how long it can keep going. And so I don't know, I can't really say right now, but okay conversation around like you know having a family is has come up a couple times so you know who's to say that i'll even be allowed (laughs) to drink in like a year but i don't know we'll see i i think that i would try to reincorporate it um just coming at it with um a lot more i don't know smarts (laughs) about it realize what I'm doing with it like if I'm drinking it to drink it or if I'm drinking it to mask something or something I don't see myself like staying sober for the rest of my life if you know as the honest truth but yeah I honestly can't say that I would stop right away either with the sobriety so I've had a couple friends that have taken that year to step back and look at themselves that have gotten back on that wagon and everything's cool again. And then I've had friends that have gotten back on the wagon and fell off really hard and decided that the clean and sober route was the way to go. So I, you know, I have a lot of examples of all sides of that around me right now, which is extremely helpful in this process. And God, God, thank you for these podcasts. They have been such a lifesaver to me. Um, but I don't Thank know. You. I I can't I can't say what the future holds right now. But no, I like how I feel right now. Good. And I like that I'm learning to like myself. Surprisingly enough, so as long as that keeps on up and up, I think this is going to be the the situation <laughs> for a well, while. I'm I'm happy and grateful, and um, it's I'm just glad to be able to seriously to like share it with you and to talk to you about it and to, to hear from you and, and answer questions if I can. And, and like even, my go-to. <laughs> even if I can't, I'm like, I don't really know, but uh, this is what I do, you know? And so 
Um, I'm just... long, long 10 years of you calling me at two in the morning. Shit. <laughs> I know. Right? Looking for anybody. About stuff and things in the universe. And then uh, me <laughs> 10 years later talking to you about stuff and things in the universe. <laughs> well, you are more than welcome to call me anytime. And, and thank you for this. Is, it's nice to see you and talk to you, Yay. you know, <laughs> and we should do it again. And I would love it if, if we could maybe, um, talk again in a year and see how you feel yeah absolutely <laughs> tell jerry to come next time <laughs> yes well, i'll figure that one out i'll figure <laughs> figure out the technical side of that and we'll, get, we'll make that um awesome well thank you alicia you're welcome johnny thanks again for listening our music as always is by neglect you can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com and you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>